Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for life, for breath, for an opportunity we have today to be your hands and feet and to learn and to worship and to reflect you to others. Lord, we thank you. And now as we gather here online and here in person, Lord, we want to pray for those who are hurting. Uh, Lord, those who have been impacted by the tornadoes, especially in Kentucky, Lord, we we pray, Lord, for those first responders, those that are on the scene right now dealing with so many difficult things, so much to take in and so many important decisions to make. Lord, we pray that, uh, that they would just respond to you and, uh, Lord, that you would be helping them in the midst of all of this, God. You give them your wisdom. And, uh, Lord, that you, the God of all peace, would minister your peace even to them at this time as they face such a challenging situation. And Lord, we, we pray as well for the families who are waiting uh, to hear or wondering where their loved ones are. Lord, again, we pray that your grace would surround them. Lord, that you would speak to them in a way that only you can. And for those in the hospital right now or those who are trapped, God, we pray, Lord, for you to be incredible healing to them and strength to them at this time. There's just a lot of pain. And so, Lord, I pray as well that you'd use Christians and churches right around where they are. Lord, to be your hands and feet, to minister your compassion and your love. Lord, use us, and Lord, especially at this time, we pray. And, and Lord, we pray in all of this, God, that, uh, Lord, that people would turn their hearts to you and turn to you, God, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's Christmas time, and we got the lights going on in here. You probably have your trees maybe set up at home. You've got maybe some things set up outside your home. It's Christmas. And so I just wanted to start out today asking you this question. Now, when you think of Christmas, what images, what words come to mind? What? What did you say? Joy. I love that. What did you say? What did you say? What, food? Well, there you go. Yes, we have a lot of that at Christmas. Anyone else? Love, giving. The Bible, love that, love that. Well, you know what, as, as I've been looking around, like if, if I didn't know anything about Christmas and I just stepped into my neighborhood to learn what Christmas is all about, and if I didn't know anything, I would think that Christmas must be about Snoopy because he's reigning very large in our neighborhood. Uh, don't have to look very far to see him. I, would, I might think that Christmas is about a snowman. Certainly, he's present multiple times. Or maybe about a reindeer, or possibly about a sleigh. It seems that these are the kinds of things that uh, our culture says is supposed to provide us hope and joy in this season. Now, if I were looking elsewhere at other facets of our culture, I might come to other conclusions. I, I might think that Christmas is about gifts, certainly about giving, or it's about harmony. Or I might think that Christmas is about candles because everybody's buying one or two or three. It must be about candles, and maybe Christmas is about peace. 
That's a little closer, but even as I say that, what does our culture mean by the word peace? You see, friends, if we really understood what Christmas was about, if we did, I think we would contemplate how subversive its message is compared to our culture. That holds true for us today. It was true for the people back then. It seems that no matter when people have lived since the time Jesus was born, there is always something trying to displace Christ at Christmas. And that brings us to a song, a hymn. You've heard it before. You've probably sung it before. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men, from heaven's all-gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Now this really popular hymn, this Christmas carol, is largely based on Luke 2. And Luke 2 is one of these powerful passages we have that has changed so many lives over the course of the years. It beautifully conveys some of the key essential parts of the Christmas story, and it's often read on Christmas Eve in various churches across the world, many times read by a child to somehow make the words a little more special. Well, today what I want to do is, you know, I'm going to read a portion of Luke 2. I'm 56. I'm still going to try to make it special for you. Uh, but as I read these words, here's our assignment today as we get going. Are you ready? I want you to pay special attention to the underlined words. Think about them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. There's that peace word to those on whom his favor rests. Now, have you ever really contemplated those underlying words that you find in Luke chapter 2? And if you say, well, I have, well, then let me ask you this. Do those words hold the same meaning to you now as they did to those people who first heard them back then? Good news, Savior, the Lord, peace. Well, for the sake of time, let me talk about what many Christians all across the globe would say these words mean now or over the past couple of centuries. Good news? Well, many would say that refers to the gospel because the gospel is the good news. And the good news of the gospel at Christmas is that Christ came at Christmas because you and I have a sin problem. And that separates us from God. And so Jesus takes on human flesh. He's born at Christmas in such a humble way. And he eventually, what, he goes to the cross. He takes our place, our sins, upon himself at the cross. And then he rises again so that those who repent and those who follow him can have eternal life as well. They can become children of the Most High God, part of his family. That's the good news of the gospel. When it comes to the Savior, well, they would say, well, that's a reference, of course, to Jesus. The Lord they would say, well, that's a reference to Jesus. Peace? Today in our world, we might say peace means freedom and harmony in the midst of trouble. And some might even say freedom and harmony from any sense of trouble. 
That's what these words mostly mean to people today. Now, as for me, I'm always going to be thankful for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's through his work on the cross that I now have hope and I have faith and I have peace. And I, I hope the same is, the truth, is true for you. But this brings us back to those words. Let us think about those. Good news, Savior, the Lord, peace. This morning, we're going to unwrap those words by examining the overall context of when they were first spoken. And as we do, here's the promise, you're going to see just how subversive those words were in light of the culture. And so let me start with the last word first, peace. Peace, I mean, how subversive can peace be? It's so peaceful. But if we properly understood the Roman world in which the shepherds resided, we might even wonder if the peace delivered by the angel was actually needed. Because after all, the world at that time was experiencing something known as Pax Romana, an unprecedented period of worldwide peace made possible by the Roman Empire. So if we understand that, then at first blush, the angel's promise of peace made possible through the birth of a savior would have been like offering your friend a free ticket to a movie that you're already experiencing in the theater together. It doesn't really make any sense. Because after all, the shepherds on the hillside that night were already experiencing a greater level of peace than many of the shepherds who had lived before them. So why would the peace the angel promised them be good news to them? Well, during Pax Romano, there was certainly freedom from civil disturbance, but there wasn't real freedom and there wasn't true peace. You see, peace can come about in a variety of different ways. Publius Cornelius Tacitus was a Roman historian and politician who lived during the rise of the Roman Empire, and he made it very clear how Rome was able to provide such peace to the region. You have sought in vain to escape the Roman oppression by obedience and submissiveness. They are the plunderers of the world. If the enemy is rich, they are rapacious. If poor, they lust for dominion. Not east, not west, sated them. They rob, butcher, plunder, and call it empire. And where they make a desolation, they call it peace. So peace through power. And we've seen this kind of peace kind of creep into our world and in our modern world, right? I mean, for example, you might have had a supervisor who used his or her position in order to bring about a certain strategy that no one asked for or wanted. They just had the power so they could do it, so they did. And they expected everyone else to have peace with that. We've seen this when any leader dominates others to bring about an outcome they expect others to fully support. You see, the Romans loved to flaunt their power by reminding people of what would actually happen to them if they dared to disturb the sense of peace that they were affording to others. One historian wrote it this way, in 4 BC, after destroying villages and slaughtering their residents, Varus had his soldiers round up the leaders of the insurrection and crucified about 2,000. You see, the cross was a political statement about who held the power. Whether you enjoyed Caesar's peace depended largely upon which end of the sword you found yourself. As one Roman educator wrote, Whenever we crucify the guilty, and of course, many of them weren't guilty. They're just trying to control them. The most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and be moved by this fear. For penalties relate not so much to retribution as to their exemplary effect. 
So when the angels appeared to the shepherds that night and told them, do not be afraid, there was good reason for this introduction because fear ruled the day as each person tried their best to experience the peace that Rome afforded them. And so it's much like the Christmas hymn says, and ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now for glad and golden hours, come swiftly on the wing, O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. The good news is that while Rome loved to flaunt their power, God was actively at work using their efforts for a greater good. In fact, during their rule, the Romans built like 50,000 hard surface roads, which paved the way for early Christ followers to actually spread the gospel around the world. So God can use anybody or anything to accomplish his kingdom agenda. We might be busy making our plans, but God is always at work accomplishing his grander plan so that people of every race, creed, and color can come together as one. He is building a worldwide family, a family united around the true Lord, the true Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's come back to that sword. Because the sword, while it was powerful, wasn't the only weapon that Caesar used to display his power. He also used the power of story. Story. In fact, many have said that for Caesar, the pen was actually mightier than the sword. You see, Caesar Augustus was not just a master storyteller. He, over time, became a highly skilled brand manager who represented only one client, himself. And this resulted in a variety of different titles being ascribed to him, which would remind every Roman subject of the blessings they experienced while living under his iron hand. One historian wrote, telling effective stories is not easy. The difficulty lies not in telling the story, but in convincing everyone else to believe it. Well, Caesar was really convincing. His message was clear. You see, believe me or suffer. Believe me or die. So it's in the midst of this very oppressive story. The angel tells a very different, subversive, hope-filled story. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And when the angel spoke those words to the shepherds, the angel knew that they had one idea in mind about what good news meant in that culture. But now if properly understood, this new good news would actually usurp that understanding and then provide them joy and not fear. In fact, the same subversive language is found in the angel's next statement because it's here where he conveyed exactly who makes this joy possible. It says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so while we we read such words as good news and savior with one understanding in mind, the shepherds had a very different understanding of those words. And so in order for you to kind of see this, I'm going to read just one portion of this ancient Roman document. There's a lot of words. I'll try to explain them, but you're going to see the overall point. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. So providence has been so good to us to give us Caesar whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior 
both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the God of Augustus was the beginning of the gospel, the good news for the world. I hope you're seeing a little of what I'm saying here. Caesar is the savior who brings the gospel, the good news. Really. So when the angel declared those words to the shepherds, he was basically saying, okay, I have news for you. The good news you now know, which is actually bad news because it's forced upon you, is now being replaced by the kind of good news that can actually produce peace. And the savior that you now know, who saves absolutely no one, is being replaced by a true savior who can actually set you free. Friends, this was incredible news to those shepherds and also to everyone else who had not yet heard. But that's also, I think, why we gotta be really, really careful when we even allow just a hint of the Roman culture to creep into our Christianity today. I say that because I've certainly met some Christians who have viewed their savior to be their level of success in the company the square footage of their home, the size of their paycheck. Some have viewed their savior to be their chosen political party or they've chosen their savior to be their next vacation because it's gonna save them for the normalities of their life. And I say this, have we learned nothing? Friends, there is only one savior in this world and his name is Jesus. Kings will come and go, presidents will come and go, but the name of Jesus will stand forever. And yet even with everything Angel said, it's remarkable, he, he still wasn't done. He wasn't done declaring this wonderful subversive good news because the word savior held other meanings for these shepherds that would soon be redefined. Remember again, Caesar, he's a brand manager, constantly rebranding himself to make himself greater, not just in his own mind, but in the minds and hearts of everyone else. And this is why one Roman poet proudly wrote, thine age, O Caesar, has brought back fertile crops to the fields and has wiped away our sins and revived the ancient virtues. Yet can a leader who is greatly known for the greatness of his own sins wipe away the sins of a nation? I don't think so. And yet before Horace, another Roman poet penned, lo, under his auspices, my son, that glorious Rome shall bound her empire by earth, her pride of heaven. This, this is he whom thou so oft hearest promised thee, Augustus Caesar, son of God. So Caesar can wipe away your sins because he's the son of God. I don't think so. Friends, there's no doubt about it. When the angel delivered his message to those shepherds that night, he knew exactly what he was saying, exactly what he was conveying. For when he said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. He was redefining the meaning of yet another word as it related to the savior. Lord, lowercase l, means someone having power and influence over others. Consequently, the angel was subversively and powerfully saying, well, Caesar may be Lord in this culture. Only Jesus is Lord. And once again, that should serve as a caution to many American Christians who would allow the Roman way of life to creep into their Christianity at Christmas. For while your job may Lord over you, 
Only Jesus is Lord. While your reputation may lord over you, only Jesus is Lord. And while your latest relationship may lord over you, only Jesus is Lord. And the shepherds, they'd come to understand much of this a little bit later. But now imagine now in this moment, they hear this word Savior. And based on their whole life and what they'd known, there's only one man who comes to mind. Caesar Augustus. Only he provided good news was the son of God and could wipe away their sins. But now a new savior was in town, in that little town of Bethlehem. And that's why when you read various sections of the Bible, I don't have time to go into all of that now, but very specific language is used to draw a sharp contrast between Caesar's kingdom and the kingdom of Christ. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament we read in the book of Daniel. That in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. Think about this. Ancient Rome is mostly a pile of rubble today. The name of Jesus can be heard virtually all around the globe. It's like the Christmas hymn says. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. You see, when the angels delivered his words to the shepherd that night, he was subversively, he was powerfully declaring some important statements followed up really with a question. He's saying, you know what? There is a different king in town. There is a different savior in this world. Which one will you serve? Which one will you serve? It's partially why Mark's gospel begins with these words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is Mark's way of saying, well, Caesar is Lord. Only Jesus is the Son, the Savior and Lord, who brings good news to the world. And so with this in mind, let me ask you something. Does the true message of Christmas subvert any Caesars in your own life? A Caesar, of course, is anything that displaces the true Savior at Christmas. And I want you to think about this. Back in the first century, of course, Caesar is saying, I am the Savior. I am the Lord. Serve me. But here in our day, we get to decide who we're going to serve. And yet I think many Christians would say, well, Jesus, yes. But there are some other things that are just as important, maybe even not more important. For example, I told you about my neighborhood earlier. If someone who didn't know anything about Christmas followed you around for a week, for this next week, after they were done, what would they say Christmas was all about? So I think Christmas is about a snowman. It's about some beautifully wrapped gifts, a really nice tree. Maybe about a Christmas vacation. What would they say Christmas is about? You see, while Rome fell some 1,700 years ago, this this Roman way of life is still alluring to so many in our culture today. Many times, we don't even allow just a Caesar in our life. We sometimes take on a Caesar mentality. So let me ask you, are you enamored with your own power or the power group you associate with? 
Do you love to redefine things in order to promote your own agenda? Do you sometimes act like a storyteller who rebrands yourself into an image removed from reality? I think we've been seeing a lot of that on social media. Do you tend to look for new ways to find peace while overlooking the prince of peace? And do you tend to build your own kingdom? Or are you truly building into others to help advance God's kingdom? Which savior do you serve? The one who saves you from nothing or the one who saves you from everything? Friends, may those words take on deeper meaning for us now. Good news, Savior, the Lord, peace. May we always remember that Jesus is the only Savior and Lord who removes sins and provides peace to this world. This is the good news of the gospel, friends. No one else has done this or can do this. So which Savior do you serve? The one that saves you from nothing? We're the one who saves you from everything. As the band comes up, I, I, I want us to kind of maybe identify some things just for you as well. I, I think there's at least three groups here in this room right now and watching online. I want to ask you, what group do you fall into? The first group would be those who truly exalt Jesus at Christmas. In fact, people around you know what Christmas is about because you let them know it is about Christ. It's about him coming to save and to love you, to extend his grace to you. That's what Christmas is about. And if you truly fall into that first group, I say keep on going. Humbly but powerfully declare the name of Jesus. This world needs to hear him and see him now more than ever. Keep going. But do you fall into that second group? Christians who you say, well, yeah, Jesus is... Lord, he's there. But there's some other Caesars in my life that are actually maybe reigning just as much and ruling just as much, maybe even more so. And for you right now, if that's you, honestly, if that's you, you might pause just in this moment and just say a prayer silently from your heart to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Jesus, only you are the true Savior. Only you are the true Lord. I want to submit my life to you. May the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart worship you, declare you. Forgive me, Lord. And then there's a third group, I think. Some who would say, you know what? I, yeah, I've seen Christmas. I can hear what you're talking about, a lot of different things about Christmas. It's kind of confusing, but I think I'm getting it. It's really about Christ, and I'm not really sure that I've made him the savior of my life. And if that's you, right where you are, you might just say a silent prayer that says something like this. Jesus, thank you for coming at Christmas for me. Thank you for taking on my sins at the cross. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can know life. Lord, I want to repent of my sins and I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want you to be my savior, my Lord, my leader. 
help me to worship you and you alone. That I would be a child of the Most High God, part of his family. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.